Welcome to Modern Exhibits, a sketch comedy podcast. New sketches every week and hosted by Bo Segrist. That's what my name is. And our sketch this week is Podcast Noir Part 2. This is Podcast Noir. This week, Sam Sloan and Triple Indemnity, Part 2. Interior, nail salon, afternoon. As Sam questions Criss Cross over the phone, Amore and Nick get to the nail salon to ask a few questions about artificial fingerprints. Nick, now disguised as the man from the Guinness Book of World Records who has the record for world's longest fingernails, approaches the worker at the desk. Amore, who still can't seem to understand if all these characters are just Nick, follows closely behind. Nick rings the doorbell to get the attention of the nail salon workers. Yes? Do you work at this nail salon? Yeah, that's right. And as a nail expert, may I say that your long fingernails are some of the most beautiful I've seen. You're really too nice. Now how can I help you, nice gentleman? What do you know about this? In between his disgusting fingernails, Nick holds up the artificial fingerprints from Peggy's house. Sorry, mister. I work with the other side of the fingerprints. The hard side. The... You mean the fingernail. That's it. I know you know something about these fake prints. Now talk. It might be in your best interest to not poke around in a place where you're not welcome. And it'd be a shame if someone broke off these fingernails of yours. Is that a threat? You tell me. The nail salon worker holds up an abnormally large pair of nail clippers. She clips them in an attempt to scare off Nick. Talk or else my friend's gonna beat you up. Oh, but I don't want to hurt anybody. Shut up, Ned. You'll hurt who I say you'll hurt. Yes, sir. I'll be quiet. Now talk or my friend here will beat you up. Oh, fine. We manufacture artificial fingernails in the back of the store and then sell them to crime syndicates and crooked cops to plant at the scenes of crimes. Why does the nail salon want to help the criminals? Because they pay us money. Plus, we're owned by the criminals. Which criminal? He's the head of the insurance mafia. Joe Fatso! But where... He's not here right now. He just owns the nail salon. Why are you so scared of him anyway? I work for him. I guess that makes us co-workers. Why don't you stop pulling your weight around here? The nail salon worker throws a broom at Amore. He fumbles it and then reluctantly starts sweeping toenails. He doesn't have a dustpan, so he has to pick them up with his hands. Interior, the private eye office of Sloan and Partner. Day. Back at the office, Sam is still on the phone with Christian musician and insurance frauder, Chris Cross. Their conversation has gotten a bit off track. Well, Cross, I would just tell your mother you don't want to do two Thanksgivings again. Maybe she'll understand. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks a lot, Mr. Sloan. I'm happy to help. Now maybe you can help me. How's that? By getting back to the matter at hand. You mean? Triple indemnity. 
Ah, yes, the old switcheroo. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Well, you're gonna talk about it anyway. Now tell me what you know, or else. Or else what? I've got a gun here that's mildly suggestive. Sam holds a gun up to the phone. On the other side of the line, Chris Cross turns white from fear. Whoa, Mac, take it easy. We're cool. Just put the gun down. I'll put the gun down when I'm good and ready to do so. Now talk or I'll fill you with lead. Okay, just take it easy. What do you want to know? Where's Peggy? That's what I'd like to know. I've got a gun here that says you already do know. Alright, now take it easy with that thing. I don't know exactly where she is because... Because what? Because she's got a new face. She got plastic surgery so she could stay missing after the insurance claim. Yeah, I know about the new face. You and me both, pal. I haven't been able to pick up the insurance because to get the claim you have to describe what the person looks like to a sketch artist. I hope you're not planning any funny business, Cross. Now, anything else I should know about Peggy Marlboro? She's got new eyes to match her new face. She knows a very good plastic surgeon. Now, what color are the new eyes? If I knew that, I wouldn't be talking to you right now, would I? I'm not concerned with what you do with your free time. As far as I know, you could be a pervert. Anything else you want to know, detective? That's it for now, Cross. Just keep your ears open in case I need more information out of you. Alright, fine. Goodbye. Love you. Bye. I've got to stop doing that. Interior, the private eye office of Sloan and Partner. Later. After getting off his call with Chris Cross, Sam didn't really know what to do next. He figured he had some time to kill, and the next step in the case would just sort of come to him, maybe walk seductively into his office. He wished Peggy Marlborough would walk right in so he didn't have to find her. Sometimes detective work was boring to Sam. Now, Sam sits at the window of his office, looking out at the passers-by with binoculars to see if any of them have green eyes. Only the sun is bright still, even in the late afternoon, and many of them wear sunglasses. He finds one pair of green eyes, but they belong to a tiny baby, and Sam has been assuming this whole time that Peggy is a grown woman. He decides to continue forward with his gut instinct that this missing woman is an adult. Night falls. The city darkens with the shadows casted by the streetlights. Sam's office is dimly lit, with more light coming from the tip of his cigarette than from his desk lamp. He walks over to a chair by his desk and takes a seat. Sam mulls over the information that Nick and Amore brought him that Joe Fatso manufactures the artificial fingerprints that were left at Piggy's house. Just then, as Sam smokes a long cigarette, Vivian Beauregard walks into his office. She wears only a silk robe. She's gotten a room in the hotel that is just across the hallway from Sam's office. Hello, Sam. Well, you're a sight for green eyes. I mean, for sore eyes. Do you... do you have green eyes? No. Huh. Some help you are. What color do they look like to you? Vivian approaches Sam and sits on his lap. She brings her face close to his and he stares into her unblinking eyes. They look black to me, baby. Black as tar. You're going to help me, aren't you, Sam? You help me, too. From what Nick and Amari told me this afternoon, it seems Joe Fatso is even more involved in this whole thing than we thought. How so? A lot so, toots. 
I had a little talk with your friend Chris Cross today. He's no friend of mine. What did he tell you? He sang like a bird, but blew a lot of smoke. If anyone knows how to blow smoke, it's you, Sam. You know just how to blow smoke, don't you? You just put your lips around a cigarette and suck. Sam leans in for a kiss, but it's not time yet. Vivian keeps her smoochers to herself. You're not going to let Peggy get hurt, are you? No one's getting hurt except for the person we decide is the fall guy. Do we need a fall guy? Like Gandhi needs a sandwich. How will this all end, Sam? We find the broad and I get my money. That's the deal, isn't it? I suppose so. It's looking like we both could be in for a big payoff. If not for that selective amnesia, you wouldn't have even needed my help. You could have played your cards better, you know. It's not a matter of me needing you, Sam. It's a matter of me wanting you. Now, I need you to find Peggy for me. I think we're in for more than we bargained for. I get the impression you bet low. That must be the case if I'm betting on you. Baby, I'm the fucking jackpot. Vivian, still sitting in Sam's lap, kisses him long and kisses him hard. When they pull apart, Sam's cigarette is now in Vivian's mouth. She wraps her lips tight around it, grabs it between two fingers, and blows a sexy cloud of smoke all over Sam's face. I think I'm falling for you, Sam. Then you've fallen without a parachute, kid. I've been in love many times before, and it always goes bad. Like spoiled milk or Germany just before a war. You want to love again, don't you, Sam? No, not since the woman I loved in Paris vanished for forever. She hurt you? There I was, standing alone at the bus station with my hands in my pockets, kicking at the dirt like a sap. The chocolates I brought melted in my hands. They didn't come in boxes back then, you see. I remember. It was only a few years ago. She broke my heart. And that's an organ that can't be mended, baby. Sam kisses Vivian long and hard again. grabs the cigarette with his lips and returns it to his mouth, now full of ash. Do you at least trust me, Sam? I only trust myself. But the same question goes for you, doesn't it? Do you trust me? I'm beginning to. You don't expect me to blow this, do you? It'll be a miracle if this whole thing doesn't explode in our stupid faces. If you get us all out of this, you deserve a round of applause. You know how to clap, don't you, Sam? You just slap your meat hooks together and blow. When people clap, they often whistle as well. Well, you know how to whistle, don't you, Sam? I do. I don't have to explain it then. Interior, eye hospital. The next day. Sam pays the local optometrist a visit. It's 90 degrees outside, but Sam enters wearing a long trench coat, a hat, and smoking a cigarette. He puts the trench coat on a coat rack and now just wears his shoulder holster and nothing else. He walks up to a man with an eye patch. You the optometrist? Yes, sir. I'm Dr. Eyepatch. We prefer the term eye doctor here. I'm Dr. Eyepatch. Yes, sir, I am. Yes, I see that. I need to talk to you about a little eye problem I've been having. Well, have a seat then, my good man. Oh, I didn't mean... 
Dr. Eyepatch grabs Sam forcefully and plops him in a chair and hooks him into one of those rotating eye exam machines. All right, one or two? Uh, one. Projected on the wall in front of Sam is a large Arabic numeral one. Very good. Dr. Eyepatch rotates the mechanism. Now, two or three? Uh, three. On the wall in front of Sam is a large number three. Correct again. One or two? Uh, I'm seeing two guys right there. One of them is me. Then just one. Very good. Now how many fingers am I holding up? All I see is a hook. Correct again. Next. Does this dress make me look fat? No. Mister, you have passed the eye exam with flying colors. You have perfect 20-20 vision. That's nice. Now, tell me about green eyes. It sounds like you know plenty about them already. I want to know who's got them. I only have two patients with green eyes. Hollywood star Gary Cooper and a seductress named Peggy Cameron. Really? You're Gary Cooper's eye doctor? That's right. Let me show you a picture he autographed for me. Hey, that's Cary Grant. Mister, I don't know who you are, but you have some grade A peepers on you. Wait a minute, Mac. What was that woman's name you said? Gary Cooper? No, the woman. Peggy Campbell. My female client with green eyes. Peggy Camel. Peggy Camel. Wait, as in Camel cigarettes? That's right. But she told me she's not an heiress. Just, Just a, a big, big fan. fan. So it is her. Can you tell me where this Peggy Camel lives? Well, that would break doctor-patient confidentiality. But what the hell? Here's the phone book. I think I'll pay this Peggy Camel a visit. Now to square away your bill, that'll be five thousand dollars. Interior. Peggy Marlborough's apartment. Night. Sam has Nick and Amore scope out Peggy's place and keep watch around the perimeter. They both get their positions, Amore keeping an eye on the back of the building from the fire escape, and Nick, now dressed as a German soldier with a spike helmet, poses as the doorman and keeps an eye on the front of the building. Sam turns the doorknob and enters Peggy's apartment. He silently enters, but then knocks into a priceless vase Maltese statue that hits the ground and shatters. Who's there? Sam hears a woman's voice coming from the kitchen. He lights a cigarette and draws his gun. I'm a private detective coming to find you. Nice place you got here. I just moved. I know. Finally, Peggy enters from the kitchen. To Sam's surprise, she has no face bandages. For some reason, he thought she had gotten the face surgery today. Peggy has curled blonde hair, is wearing a black dress, and has sunglasses on over her eyes. Now I won't know if you're the dame I'm looking for unless you take those sunglasses off. Not yet. Not now. I've been expecting you, Sam. How do you know my name? Isn't it obvious? Hey, I'll ask the questions around here. Got it? I've got half a mind to shoot you down right now just for all the trouble you've put me through. You don't want to shoot me, Sam. What about the triple indemnity? You can't get it if the murder is on purpose and I'm found. Hell, you won't even be able to get double indemnity for that. I think I know how triple indemnity works. Thank you very much. I know you better than that, Sam. Than to think all you want to do is cash out. I've never met you before. Besides, I've got my eye doctor bills to pay. But, Sam, I'm- I'll ask the questions around here. So you know me, huh? I didn't realize I've had someone trailing me. I guess this whole thing was a setup. 
And what's with all the turned over picture frames? These must be the ones from your old apartment. Sam, I... I'll ask the questions around here. Now, what's with the pictures, Peggy Camel? Or is it Peggy Marlborough? Maybe Peggy Chesterfield? Oh, Chesterfield would have been a good one. No, those are all pseudonyms, Sam. My real name is... Enough! I'm ready to do some talking, okay? Now, you haven't forgotten about your friend Vivian Beauregard, have you? No, of course not. She's forgotten about you. Don't blame the broad, though. She's got that selective amnesia that bare-knuckled boxers get. Sam! Now, just a minute. Sam picks up one of the turned-over picture frames. The image is black and white, which is normal for Sam because his whole world is black and white. He looks at the image and sees the Eiffel Tower, which to him signals that the photo was taken either in Paris or in Vegas. He sees that he is in the picture, smooching the woman he loved in Paris. Now how come you have a picture of me and the only woman I ever truly loved in Paris? Oh, I see. So this is how you know who I am. You took all my ex-girlfriend's pictures. Well, I bet you think you know me real well. Sam. Well, you don't. Sam, you've got to listen to me. I... I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in Paris because of the war. I had to get away from it. One day, I was minding my own business, sitting at a cafe, reading a Playboy. Then a dame walked into the cafe and into my life. She was a good-looking woman. Blonde hair, long legs, clothes on. I fell for her like a plane that crashes because of a drunk pilot. And she fell for me too, you know. Sam, I'm- And what we had was beautiful. We avoided serving the war together, as a couple. We were in love and we were set to get married. Oh, Meg, the love of my life. I used to call her Maggie. She had all these plans for our future, but I never listened. I had my own plans. She would yap, yap, yap about something, something, insurance fraud, and getting plastic surgery, and if we ever had a split coming up with a big crime to bring us back together, but I didn't listen. All I could do was love her. And I lost her at the bus station when we were about to fly to our destination wedding. I went to the bathroom, got turned around, and never saw her again. There I was, twiddling my thumbs like the dunce of the castle. I just took whatever buses I could for weeks, hoping to find her. That's how I ended up here, in California. I was heartbroken. I figured old Maggie had gotten me lost on purpose so she could break away and go marry some other sap. So here I am in heartbreak town on a wild goose chase for the lady without a face and who refuses to take her sunglasses off. So why don't you do it already? Peggy slowly removes her sunglasses to reveal green eyes. I knew it. I knew who you were. That's right. I'm... Peggy Marlborough. Yes, I solved the case, all right. Because I'm a detective, damn it. And a damn good one, too. No, Sam. Oh, uh, what now? Don't you recognize my voice? I'm Maggie. Maggie Lucky Strike. Don't you remember me, Sam? You're... You're... No, it can't be. It can? You mean to tell me you're the only dame I ever loved? Oh, Sam, you waited for me? Uh... No, all I meant was you're the only broad I ever dated seriously. Don't you get it, Sam? I'm going to cash in on three triple indemnity clauses. Me, Criss Cross, and Vivian. Vivian's got a triple indemnity clause? She forgot about it. We're going to cash out 
pay off your eye doctor bills and then go have our wedding at the Monte Casino Monastery. That's quite a plan, baby. Put the gun down, Sam. Sam tosses the gun aside, embraces the woman he loves, and plants a long one on her, just like the one he planted on Vivian the night before. Sam and Peggy exchange many cigarettes during their smooch, and the smoke fills up their lungs with black love. Oh, Sam, I'm so glad we're together again, and every storyline is wrapped up completely. Not so fast. Sam and Peggy turn to see Chris Cross, the double-crossing Christian musician. He has Vivian Beauregard in a chokehold and a gun pointed to her head. Well, I didn't say to stop kissing, did I? Interior, Peggy Marlborough's apartment. Night. Sam and Peggy are frozen solid by the shock of Criss Cross, the Christian musician who sang the song, Love Me Like the Whore of Babylon. Sam realizes that he put his gun down so he could kiss and make love to Peggy. He's even more upset to realize he might not be able to make love to Peggy again. Not if everyone ends up dead. Everyone stands silently, weighing their options. Vivian Beauregard, the seductive but forgetful woman, speaks first, calling out to her friend and partner in insurance fraud. Peggy! Vivian! Well, this is awkward. Sam and Peggy put their hands high in the air. I gave you all that information because I wanted to lead you right here. You fell right into my trap, and now I've got you all exactly where I want you. And where is that? Missing. So you're going to try to take all of our triple indemnity clauses, is that it? Smart guy. Too bad no one will ever find your body and be able to harvest your brain for science. And how do you expect to guarantee that our bodies will never be found? With my little friend here. Chris Cross calls in his secret weapon. The face behind it all. Chris's evil companion, the MGM lion. The lion walks in on all fours as a lion does and roars at Sam and Peggy. And waits for Chris Cross's command to pounce. Just then, with their back against the wall, Nick rushes in, still dressed as a German soldier with a spike helmet. Sam! Sam! I figured out Chris Cross's plan! I tracked him all the way to Universal Studios, where he was posing as a director under the alias Orson Welles! And... who's this guy? That's Chris Cross. Then who did I just arrest? You better put your hands up, you German bastard, or I'll send Leo the MGM lion here to eat your face. Nick reluctantly puts his hands up, Cross throws Vivian towards them, and now Sam is standing in between her and Peggy. Awkward. Cross points a gun at all of them. Leo the lion licks his lips. Now I have you all dead to rights. That's one, two, three, four triple indemnity claims when I kill all of you by hiding your bodies inside this lion. Yep, I have all of you here together. <laughs> <laughs> 
Just then, Patrick Amore rushes in, after being bored waiting out back. He was distracted for a bit when he saw a man with a lion sneak into the building, but once the lion was gone, he got bored again and eventually came upstairs to see what everyone was up to. Hey, everybody. Another lion. Put your hands up. Amore joins the rest with his hands raised. Okay, that makes five triple indemnity clauses for me to claim. That's uh, 15 indemnities, isn't it, Leo the Lion? That's right. I'm going to take that money and then steal away to Turkey and become a Christian music sensation. Cross, we had a deal. I'm surprised you remember that. Too bad you won't be able to remember any of this because you'll be dead. I can't believe you backed out of the old switcheroo. Well, you backed out first. Well, I had a secret plan. So you got us dead to rights, Cross. Yeah, that's right. I kill you, you die, crisscross. I'm very nervous about being eaten by the lion. What, the lion? Sure, it's a scary beast. <laughs> but I wonder if it's got a soft spot. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? I'm just wondering what the lion would do if I offered him a cut of the dough. <laughs> Leo the lion, hey, you never even asked me for a cut. He still hasn't offered you a cut, Leo the lion. The man is about to get 15 indemnities and he can't even offer you one measly indemnity. Okay, calm down, Leo the Lion. We can talk about this. How can you trust a word he says, Leo the Lion? He just double-crossed five people in front of your very eyes. Leo the Lion, don't do anything you'll regret. Remember, I'm blackmailing you. Leo the Lion mauls Criss Cross. He eats every part of him. Yes, Leo the Lion! I hope you won't eat us as well, Leo the Lion. No need to worry. I think you've got a new best friend, Patrick Amore. Leo the Lion walked over to Amore so he could be petted. Very well. Nice kitty. I think this is the beginning of an unnerving friendship. Sam looks to the two women he loves. Sam. Vivian, I... Go to her, Sam. To who? To the love of your life. Vivian kisses Sam goodbye with a long, passionate tongue kiss. Sam turns to Peggy and smiles. Vivian turns to Nick, who is still wearing the spike helmet and a big mustache. What's your story, soldier? I think I'm falling in love with you. No, don't get too close. I cannot be monogamous. Well, I think I have a bald wizard, a Hall of Fame baseball player, and the world record holder for the longest fingernails to introduce to you. Oh, German soldier. You and your myriad of friends have made me so happy. Nick and Vivian embrace and kiss.
Their kiss continues for the rest of our story. They smooch on in the background as the others continue to wrap up plot points. Please don't eat me, Leo the lion. Well, Peggy, Nick's got Vivian. Amore has his lion friend. And what about us? Paris doesn't last forever. How about we try some other place that isn't war-torn? That's good enough for me, kid. Sam and Peggy kiss passionately. Now, what do you say we all fake our deaths, get plastic surgery, and claim those triple indemnities? Sounds swell to me, Sam. Can do. What's one more face? I know some other guys who got insurance claims as well. Just please make sure this lion doesn't eat me. Whatever. I'll go anywhere with you, Sam. With anyone's money. With anyone's face. You said it, baby. Here's to the rest of our lives. This has been Podcast Noir, presented by The Premise Podcast. Sam Sloan and Triple Indemnity was written by Bo Seagrest. Starring Bo Seagrest, Stephen Marcus, Laura Freeman, Eric Summer, Rob Freeman, Caroline Summer, and Kevin Towers as Dr. Eyepatch. Exhibits Sketch Comedy Podcast, and that was Podcast Noir Part 2. You already heard Steven read the credits, um, so now I'm just, uh, just killing time. We'll see you next week. <laughs>